Talk to my friend Drew. And Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. Well, I guess the trucker protests are just about over, huh? It seems like they're winding down. Trudeau's uh, brown shirts, his thugs, his SS there. Well, they've beaten, they've arrested, they have trampled their way into victory. Now, I'm not sure this is actually a victory for the victory for them. You know, I think that I think this ended the way we anticipated, expected. Uh, and in many ways, uh, there is a victory in this. I know it looks bad. I know, believe me, we're going to get into what's taking place here and how dangerous it is. But Trudeau has shown himself to be the dictator that he always was, the, the tyrant. And I think this is the beginning of a movement, not the end. Not the end. He might have claimed a, a temporary success here. But in the aggregate, this thing's just going to continue to move forward and snowball and, uh, and that avalanche is going to come down, and it's going to bury him and his thugs and the other tyrants around the world. Now, Russia, of course, has done what Russia was always going to do, always planned to do. And this is, this is reminiscent of what they did in 2014, and it's why, well, today, uh, my predictions are vindicated. More on that in a little bit, but they moved into Ukraine just as uh, uh, we expected them to do. They took Crimea under Obama, and now they've taken... Uh, two more regions under Biden. No surprise there. This is Drew Allen. I want to thank you for tuning in today and listening to this show. Now, look, I wish I could cover everything in 10 minutes. I can't do it. There's just too much to talk about. And so you're going to have to stick with me the whole show today. But if you do that, I promise you that you will be amongst the most informed Americans in the country. We're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about what's happening with Russia, Ukraine. What's going on here? What is Biden's role in this? What does he want? We're going to talk about uh, uh, what's happened, of course, in Canada and many, many other topics. They're going to put uh, the seven-foot razor wire back up around the, the Capitol building. Did you hear about that? Yeah, that's right. Ahead of Biden's March 1st State of the Union, Pelosi's invited all 535 members of the House now. You know, it was uh, 200 last year when he gave his address to a joint session of Congress. But now she's opened it up. She's revealed everyone is welcome. Everyone's welcome. I mean, there's a catch to that. But should the Republicans even go? Should the Republicans even show up to the State of the Union? And if they do show up, I want to see a, 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 a sea of red MAGA hats. More on that in a minute. But I just wish, I truly wish that, that Joe Biden cared as much about America and our problems as he does about Ukraine. Wouldn't that be nice? Amidst the inflation, amidst the soaring oil and gas prices, amidst the proliferation of crime throughout our cities in America. I mean, this is a dangerous time for America. And instead of focusing on those issues here at home, addressing them, this guy has spent more time talking about Ukraine than anything else. Anything else. And I'm going to explain why soon. But, uh, you know, I, I knew, I knew that Biden was not 
interested that he was never going to stop Putin from invading Russia. I knew it. I knew it. But, um, you know, he sent, he sent Kamala Harris over there to the Munich conference. It was a security conference ahead of this invasion that took place. I guess that didn't work out. Surprise, surprise. But uh, shockingly, Kamala wasn't able to fix this. She wasn't able to convince Putin not to invade, apparently. She couldn't find the root cause, I guess. I mean, what, what is it? She's the border czar. She's the, the, the Russia-Ukraine czar. I mean, what else has she been put in charge of? I mean, you know, Kamala, Kamala can't find the southern border. Did anyone ask her, test her knowledge? Does she even know where Ukraine is? We know she can't find the southern border, but apparently she's put in charge of the Russian-Ukraine problem. And, uh, you know, th- this, like I said, I knew that Biden's intentions were not to deter Russia. I knew he didn't care. That was the claim I made weeks and weeks ago. But I I doubly knew, I doubly knew that he had no intention of solving this crisis or doing anything to to deter Putin when he sent Kamala Harris over to Munich to talk it out. Because there's one thing we can be sure of, well, just as sure as we are of death and taxes, that is that if you want a failure, if you want something not to be resolved— if you, if you don't want to succeed, you put Kamala Harris in charge of it. We know this, do we not? So anyway, Putin has disobeyed Biden. He has invaded the eastern part of Ukraine. And I just want to speak to, look, I think there's a broad array of opinions about this likely out there. You know, a lot of people continue to say, you know, um, we should be more concerned with our own southern border than Ukraine. Sure, that's true. That's absolutely true. But I don't want to be callous about this, and I want to make sure that we have a pretty, as objective as we can, a discussion about what's happening on, because it's not black and white. It's not simple. There are a lot of elements to this, and there are reasons we should be concerned, and I'll get into those here. But you know what this is like? This is Putin invading Ukraine. It's like, it's like if Mexico moves soldiers into El Paso and some other border town, region of Texas, and declared those parts of Texas independent from the state of Texas. And the uh, president of Mexico there says, you know, well, these, these territories belong to, to Mexico now because I say so. And Mexico then says, hey, you know what? We're also, we're not the aggressors here. We're doing this to maintain peace because Mexico for the past number of years has been arming separatist groups in El Paso and another border town in Texas who have allegiance to Mexico. And he's instigating violence for these Mexican sympathizers. And then he comes in and he claims, well, I'm coming in here. These people don't want to be a part of Texas anymore. And so I'm declaring them independent and I'm moving in and I'm going to take them. That's what this is like. It's outrageous. Now, Trudeau, this is my favorite is Trudeau has actually condemned this. Can you believe this? Trudeau, the little commie dictator, the fascist. He has taken to Twitter to condemn Russia's invasion, moving military troops to seize and claim additional territory that belongs to Ukraine. So he rejects and condemns, of course, uh, Russian decrees that ordered military uh, forces into Ukraine after he just ordered the Ottawa police to treat peaceful Canadian protesters like foreign insurgents and beat them, and arrest them into submission. And this is the thing. Trudeau, he can't tolerate. He can't tolerate Russians 
threatening Ukrainians. But he's got no problem at all threatening his own people, Canadian citizens. I guess it's okay if they're your people. If Putin was attacking Russians and abusing them and taking away their civil liberties, no problem at all. But it's the prime minister or, uh, or president's job, according to Trudeau, I guess. You got to keep the people in line. You got to beat them into submission. That's the despot's responsibility. Keep the citizen in line. You know, you can't have the slaves misbehaving on the plantation. And they, these, these tyrants, the Trudeaus, the Bidens, the Putins even, they all have the plantation owner mentality. You, my servant, my slave, are better off and happier in a system in which I tell you what to do. Your life is governed by me. Don't make your own decisions. You're incapable. Listen to me. Listen to me, your plantation owner. And don't act up. Stay in line. But I guess, you know, if a plantation owner goes into another plantation, that's where, where Trudeau draws the line. You know, beat and abuse your own slaves, but keep your hands away from my slaves. Only I can beat and abuse them. And there's something interesting to point out here about Trudeau. There is a talking point that we've heard for a long time. It's amongst the dictators. It's part of a broader strategy using rhetoric, of course, Trudeau is calling for working together. That's right. So he has just beaten peaceful protesters into submission. He has used the Ottawa police as his personal Gestapo, his SS, his brown shirts, to beat them, to arrest them. And now he's freezing their bank accounts. He's holding them in jail without bail with no stated date of release because they're still considered dangerous. They may go out and protest again. He's done all of this. And now he's saying it's time to work together. Where have we heard this before? Biden said this after he was installed as president of the United States in America. It's time to work together. It's time for the healing to begin. This is what they always say. Working together, of course, doesn't mean working together. Working together is code for do as I say and we will not have a problem. That's what working together means. It's a mafia. It's a mafia. The Democrat Party in this country is a mafia. Trudeau and his leftists over there, the fascists there, they're a mafia. By the way, that we have these people elected at all is outrageous. Somebody in parliament there that, of course, is uh, approves of, loves the fact that the police are the SS now in Canada, that they have been reduced to a little dictatorship and totalitarian regime. Well, she said, honk, honk. Remember that? Honk, honk. That was how we, we referred to the honks of the truckers who were honking for freedom. Honk, honk, she said, is a code word for white supremacy. Honk, honk. What are the initials? HH. That stands for Heil Hitler. These people are so depraved. Depraved. That person belongs in some insane asylum, but instead she's sitting in Parliament in Canada making these outrageous claims. You know, for all the leftists out there who are always attacking, talking about QAnon or whoever, whatever that organization is that's a conspiracy theory outfit, well, they've got these people, their own QAnons, their Qs, whatever they're called, in Parliament. Honk, honk, HH, Heil Hitler. The truckers are pro-Hitler. Unbelievable. But 
you know, I'm really doing my best today to just stay calm. I want to deliver a message because my goal is to deliver information, to keep you informed, to keep myself informed as well, to stay ahead of this, and also to uplift everyone out there, okay? But these fascists, these tyrants, they put their boots on our necks. Whether it's violating the Constitution, cheating in an election, undermining democracy, going after Donald Trump for Russia collusion, impeaching him for things that did not happen, that he did not do, investigating him, it, you know, a, a duly elected president with the hopes of undermining that election, whether it's unleashing BLM and Antifa on the streets who are burning down our cities, calling half of America deplorables, and then, and then, after they do all that, after they commit acts of violence, after they violate the Constitution, after they do any number of illegal criminal activities and get what they want through these criminal means, illegal means, violent means, reprehensible means, then it's, well, now it's time to work together. Now's the time to heal. We just called you deplorables for a year. We just called Donald Trump and his supporters Nazis. We just imprisoned a bunch of... Uh, of uh, people that were getting tours of the Capitol on January 6th without bail, but now it's time to heal. Now it's time to heal. Now that we've beaten you, now that we have, have used the instruments of government against the law-abiding American citizen, now that we've threatened you, now that we've taken away your livelihoods and your rights after two years of using COVID as a pretext to steal your liberty and undermine the Constitution, now it's time to heal. We're going to release our boot off your neck. We're going to let you breathe. Take a, take a breath of air. It's time to heal. Do you understand? It's time to heal. It's time to work together. Do you understand? It's time to work together. By the way, the Ottawa police, before I get into something else here, get into Russia, Ukraine, the, um, the Ottawa police, there is a video out there. You can find it. Four Cops. So there's a guy, he's standing in, some, in front of some railing that's elevated above him. So he's on the ground and above him is, is some uh, a higher platform. And he's backed up against this. He's got a mask on his face. He's arguing with a cop. And the cop comes in, one of them slugs him, and then three others come in. One above him tries to, well, he does. He reaches around this young man, thin guy, his neck, pulls it like he's trying to rip his head off, and then proceeds to punch down on his head. This guy did not assault a cop. He's just a victim. And the Ottawa police sent out some tweet. I don't have it in front of me, but to paraphrase, they're proud of it. They said, you know, this time it took four cops, but they proudly put that video out there as them doing some good and using it to say, basically, this could be you next. It was four cops this time. How many will it be next? Canada has fallen. That's what you can take from that. But, but all, of this, all of this talk, by the way, of let's heal and everything else. You know what this is like, too? This is like the Japanese bombing us on Pearl Harbor. And then afterwards, they say, let's work together, America. Let's heal. Let's heal. Do not respond. Do not be upset. There's more where this came from. We've just violated. We've just basically ignited a war, declared war against you. But... Let's work together and heal. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We Americans, we Americans don't behave in such a way. 
We don't accept this. We reject it. We will not bend our knee. We will not tolerate this in America. And they know this. And they're scared of it. But Russia, Ukraine, right? Why the heck is Biden so obsessed with Russia, Ukraine? Isn't it bizarre? This is what I was saying. He is more worried about Russia invading Ukraine than Ukraine this whole time, right? And I'm going to give you some theories uh, uh, as today's show unfolds. You know, Biden is continuing to threaten sanctions, of course, against Russia. The sanctions that he's proposing and the sanctions that he will, he's going to implement sanctions. He will do it, but it's virtue signaling. It will amount to nothing. It will be toothless. It will not harm anyone. It will not stop anything. It will just be virtue signaling to try and send a message to the media and the American people that he cares, that he condemns it, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Remember that. And I think, I think, and I'll get into this in a minute, I think that Biden and Putin have an agreement. Mark my words. So prior to this invasion that has begun, at this Munich security uh, conference, you know, Ukrainian President Zelensky, he gave a speech in Munich, right? This was uh, on Saturday. That's when the Munich security conference was held. And uh, he accused the West of appeasement. And he's damn right. He's damn right the West is, is appeasing. They're doing what, uh, what Neville Chamberlain did with Hitler. Just testing the waters. Testing the waters. And, um, you know, this is sounding like Israel versus the Palestinians in so many regards. You know, accusing Israel of violence, the Palestinians do, right? And others who hate Israel. Accusing Israel of violence as justification of bombing Israel, of attacking Israelis. But it's actually the Palestinians who are the aggressors. And this is the same thing here. Russia's doing the same thing with a playbook. You know, like we said about the Mexican analogy, he has armed these these separatists. He is instigating and encouraging violence. And then he's accusing the Ukrainians of being the violent aggressors as a pretext for coming in and seizing these territories. And this is why, this is where I'm going to depart from. Look, some of you may disagree with me, and that's okay. But, but, look, I do not support a war with Russia. I do not support sending American troops in there. That's not where I'm coming from. But I want to explain to you what's happened to Ukraine because it's abjectly amoral and wrong for Europe and America and Russia Russia to aggress and for Europe and America to turn their backs on Ukraine and not do everything in their power diplomatically to make this stop. And we could have made it stop and we didn't, which tells you that there's no people aren't serious about stopping Putin. But uh, here's a couple of pull quotes from Zelensky's speech. Ukraine has received security guarantees for abandoning the world's third largest nuclear arsenal. We have no weapons. What is he talking about? When the Soviet Union fell, Ukraine became an independent independent country. And they inherited a bunch of nuclear weapons. So this is the, um, the Budapest Memorandum, it's called, okay? It goes back to the 90s, I believe. And what you'll find out is it's just a piece of paper. It was not, 
a legal agreement. It was uh, built on good faith, a handshake from the American people and the Europeans who made promises that they now are not fulfilling. And this is my problem. As an honest guy who believes in someone's word, who believes in keeping one's promises because it's moral, it's right, we're not doing that. And, and this Budapest memorandum, by the way, this was, this was Ukraine's Australian moment. Because Australia, remember, they sold all their guns back to the government. You remember what happened in Australia? There was this shooting at a, at a cafe in Port Arthur. And this is a town, I believe, on the Australian island of uh, Tasmania. And this is back in 1996. And so this 28-year-old opened fire and killed 35 people. It was a mass shooting. And the prime minister at the time, his name was John Howard. And he decided Australia had too many guns. That's what this represented. This criminal, this reprobate, this mentally ill murderer killed 35 people at this cafe on Port Arthur, in Port Arthur. And so the prime minister decided that was a good time to ban guns. Never let a crisis go to waste, right? So he banned guns, made them illegal, and then he forced Australians with guns to sell them back to the government. And it was coercion because it was mandatory to sell them back to the government. You own a gun? Well, guess what? As of today, this is illegal. These guns are illegal. You're a criminal as of this moment unless you sell them back to us, and then we'll say it's all good. We'll give you a pass this one time. And so they gave away their guns. And this is what happened with Ukraine. They gave away their leverage because they gave away nuclear weapons. So they become independent after the Soviet Union's collapse in 1991, right? And so Ukraine found itself, that territory, the inheritor of nearly 2,000, 1,900, I believe it was, strategic nuclear weapons designed, of course, to strike the United States. And so we wanted to avoid, and the world wanted to avoid a big sell-off that would they would result in the proliferation of these arms going God knows where. And so Ukraine agreed to give up all of these nuclear weapons, you know, to keep the world safe. So they gave up all the nuclear weapons within the border of Ukraine, and they sent them all to Russia for dismantling. But they did so in exchange for security assurances. Look, Russia, the U.S., and the U.K., they pledged to refrain from threat or use of force against Ukraine. That's what the Budapest Memorandum was about. Look, you give up your, your nuclear weapons, send them to Russia for dismantling, and we've got your back. We know you'll be a sitting duck, but you don't have to worry because we've got your back. And that's why I believe it's amoral for us to abandon Ukraine, to say it's not our problem because we made this agreement. We made this promise with them. Again, I'm not supporting sending our soldiers to fight, but we could end this now. That's the point all along. We could have ended this. We could have ended this weeks ago. We could have ended this a month ago. All we had to do was sanction the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. The, the left in this country, the Democrats mocked Donald Trump while he was in office when he said, and remember, he, he put the sanctions in place against Nord Stream 2 because he understood that if they got the Nord Stream 2 pipeline up and running, that Russian pipeline that delivered natural gas to Europe underneath the Baltic Sea, bypassing Ukraine, he understood that that would give Russia leverage. And Biden comes in, and what's the first thing he does? No more sanctions. We give you Nord Stream 2. You're welcome, Russia. 
And meanwhile, Russia has been threatening. And I mean, in fact, it's Biden who's been the one who's been beating the war drums for this all along. He's the one saying war is imminent. Bombs are going to fall on Kiev. And he's the and that was against against the 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 wisdom, the intelligence that Zelensky was receiving, or at least Zelensky wanted to downplay this. He didn't want to put fuel uh, on the fire, so to speak. He wanted to avoid this situation. And Biden kept fanning the flames. So Biden is fanning the flames. He's calling and predicting a war. And yet he will not sanction Nord Stream 2. All we had to do was open up the Keystone Pipeline, unleash our oil and natural gas, our energy sector, and we could export our oil and natural gas and anything else to Europe ourselves. We could cut out Russia, whose economy, by the way, 50% of it depends upon oil and natural gas. But Biden's doing the opposite. Do you know, by the way, just days ago, in addition to all the cancellations of, uh, of leases and, and drilling leases and canceling the Keystone Pipeline and everything else he's done since day one to make us energy dependent and to make our oil and gas prices soar, well, he's still attacking the industry, the energy industry. So we've got gas prices that are going up, up, up. And he is doubling down. Um, we're being held hostage, by the way, in the name of climate change. That's what this amounts to. But New York Times, uh, there was a story. A woman named uh, Militia, Melissa, Militia. Well, they are a militia, aren't they? All these nut jobs. Uh, Melissa Schwartz, a spokeswoman for the Interior Department. You know, the New York Times, I thought that we weren't allowed to say spokesmen and women anymore. I thought that, the, the, you know, you needed gender fluidity. You know, spokesperson. How, how is it that the New York Times continue, can continue to call Melissa Schwartz and insult her by calling her a spokeswoman? I will, I, you know what? I'm going to do the right thing here. The New York Times made a mistake, but I will fix it. Melissa Schwartz, spokespronoun for the Interior Department. This is what the spokespronoun said. Delays are expected in permitting and leasing for the oil and gas programs. So they're at war with our energy sector. They are intentionally slowing down. These are, these are permits and everything, by the way, that were, that were streamlined, that were going to be given. Now they're stopping them, and they're saying, well, we have to account for the climate impact. So until we decide so, these are frozen. No oil, no, no, no drilling. And remember what I just said. There's, he's still attacking our own oil industry. Prices are going to continue to go up because they want to force us into this Green New Deal. They want to make us suffer so bad. And then, of course, play their mind, you know, Jedi mind tricks, trying to convince us that, you know, it's not their fault, uh, that the oil and gas prices have gone up. And they want to make it just so painful that it suddenly seems tantalizing to Americans to go to Green New Energy, the subsidies. Remember that, because this is going to come into play in one of my theories in just a moment. So anyway, Zelensky at the Munich Security Conference also said that, you know, his people, they're not just going to put themselves in coffins. And good for him. He should not. He has a, he has a, a duty as the president of Ukraine to defend Ukraine. So they're going to fight back with or without assistance. And um, I mean, I, the optics of this, right, have always pointed to this imminent Russian invasion. There's no doubt about that. 
But I want to I want to tell you about something Harris said in Munich on Saturday. She said, uh, "We will impose far-reaching financial sanctions and export controls. We will target Russia's financial institutions and key industries, and we will target those who are complicit and those who aid and abet this unprovoked invasion." It's a word salad. We will target their financial institutions, key industries. You know, Russia's really not that reliant on us. And honestly, we saw this. Obama did this in 2014 throughout the rest of his presidency, putting these sanctions in place that didn't do anything. And by the way, Russia's not stupid. Putin's not stupid. They've been preparing. They've also been trying to make themselves sanction proof. So they can sanction them all day long, but they've stockpiled money. They've done what they need to do to get rid of to get through these sanctions, to make sure that they don't actually hurt them to the, to the extent that the Harris and the American government and anybody else implementing these sanctions claims it will do. So sanctions just sounds, sounds bad. We're going to sanction you. I'm going to sanction you. But it doesn't mean anything. The only sanction that matters, the only sanction that could put an end to this is sanctioning the Nord Stream 2. And yes, I know I read a report today too. Germany has claimed they're going to sanction Nord Stream 2. This is temporary. The pipeline's pretty much done at this point, by the way. More virtue signaling. So, um, make no mistake, here's a quote, the imposition of these sweeping and coordinated measures will inflict great damage on those who must be held accountable. It won't. It won't. This is exactly what we heard from Obama in 2014 before Russia annexed Crimea. Exact same thing. Chest beating, chest beating to give the image, the optics that you care, that you don't want Russia to do this, that you oppose it. But really, as globalists, they don't care. In fact, they seem to want Russia to succeed. Here's what Obama said. We are now deeply concerned by reports of military movements taken by the Russian Federation inside Ukraine. Let me go on. Just days after the world came to Russia, uh, well, he doesn't really talk like that, right, Obama? Uh, Just days after the world came to Russia for the Olympic Games, it, it would invite the condemnation of nations around the world, Obama said. And indeed, the United States will stand with the international community in affirming there will be costs for any military intervention in Ukraine. Um, and, then, uh, and then, by the way, Putin invade, invades. And then Obama says, we've been preparing for the prospect that we're going to have to engage in further sanctions. Those are teed up. It requires some technical work, and it also requires coordination with other countries. So, there you have it. It's literally... Repeating the playbook of 2014. He took Crimea under Obama, and now he's taking two other regions under Biden. Same thing. Now, I want to play Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. I wasn't going to play the audio, but I want you to hear the audio because I want to make two points after you hear this. So bear with me here. I'm going to play the audio, and then I'll comment. Can you explain to Americans what exactly will they face if, if this happens? Sure. As the president talked about in his speech, um, we are aware that, again, when America stands for her principles and all of the things that we hold dear, um, 
it requires sometimes for, for us to put ourselves out there in a way that maybe we will incur some cost. All and right, so you had the opportunity there to hear Kamala Harris. By the way, you know, I know people that are more passionate when they talk about carrots and celery than Kamala Harris is when she talks about America, American principles. So there you have, okay, just to rehash. So you have the, 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 the journalist there. Can you explain to Americans what exactly they will face if Putin invades Ukraine? That's the question. What exactly will they face? Americans, what will we face if Putin invades? Now, think about this. So the question is teed up. How is a Putin invasion of Ukraine going to impact the American people? There's a very, very interesting, important reason this is happening. She says, when America stands for her principles and all of the things we hold dear, um, it requires sometimes for us to put ourselves out there in a way that maybe we will incur some costs. Now, that's a bunch of gobbledygook. Gobbledygook. I mean, four-year-olds have a better mastery of the English language and the ability to make points than Kamala Harris. But she says one thing that is very important. We will incur some costs. We will incur some costs. So she doesn't refute. Now, this happened on Saturday, so this was before the invasion actually took place. But she's obviously already made up her mind, like Biden and the administration, the regime, this was going to happen. It was inevitable, right? And so she doesn't say they're going to do anything to stop it. She just says it's going to happen, basically. She agrees. And that we are going to incur some costs. Now, they're setting up for a scapegoat. They're setting up for a scapegoat. And I, I'm not convinced they did not want Putin to invade. I'm not convinced that... Putin and Biden don't have an agreement because if Putin invades, they're going to blame every economic problem in America, including our soaring gas and energy prices, inflation. They're going to blame it on the war between Russia and Ukraine, the conflict in Europe. That's where this is headed because what's coming up? The State of the Union speech, March 1st, March 1st. I'm going to get into that in a minute, but this is going to be a lie. But they've already began to, to, to drip it out there in the media, talking about the consequences, the economic impacts of a conflict between Russia and Ukraine and in Europe. And so the only thing you can take from that, of course, that makes any sense, that I can make sense of for all of us, is that we're going to incur some costs. So she's setting it up to say that this is going to have an impact on Americans. Just get ready. They'll pretend as if we haven't been already suffering over the past year under this regime. They'll pretend that that didn't happen and they'll just rewrite history and say, look, all these problems we have, inflation, it's getting worse. It's not our policies. It's not the Democrat Party. In fact, it's, it's Republicans and it's Putin. Now, several theories here. Several theories here. I, um, before I get into the, the theories... You know, Biden had said he'd meet with Putin if he didn't invade. I guess that's out the window. We'll see. Uh, or maybe he'll still meet with Putin and then Putin will just stop. He'll take his territory and Biden will claim victory. Look, you know, I got Putin to back down. He, he seized Eastern, Eastern Ukraine, but don't worry about that. I was telling you, I, they, actually, here, it goes, here goes one of my theories. So, you know, Biden was playing this up like Putin was going to come in and drop bombs on Kiev, right? So... 
if he's basically making it look like World World War Three is coming, if Putin just takes a little portion of eastern Ukraine, you know, just a couple slivers, just a little bit more of the independent, sovereign nation of Ukraine, if he just does that and stops, well, look, I mean, he didn't get to Kiev. It's not that big of a deal, right? So they exaggerate this. They make it seem like Ukraine is about to be totally overrun and invaded. And that's the expectation they're setting. So they're setting that expectation, but Putin's going to stop with Eastern Ukraine, perhaps. He'll get what he wants. Biden will get his distraction. Biden will be able to claim victory in diplomacy. And that's one of my theories here. But uh, Biden had this phone conversation with Putin back on February 12th. And that's where, uh, you know, I want that transcript. We don't have transcripts of this. And that transcript would clear this up. Um, This is the summary given on the White House website. President Biden was clear that, this is referring to his phone call with Putin, right? President Biden was clear that if Russia undertakes a further invasion of Ukraine, the United States, together with our allies and partners, will respond decisively and impose swift and severe costs on Russia. I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to know exactly what Biden actually said to Putin. Give me the transcript of that phone call. You know, we got quid pro quo leaked, the phone call between the Ukrainian president and Donald Trump, which amounted to nothing. I want this transcript. This would tell us everything. But this is playing out exactly like 2014. Obama didn't do anything, made empty threats. Biden is Obama. And there are two scenarios that I can see. One, Russia takes, takes Ukraine. And Biden implements sanctions that exact no cost. It's the virtue signaling, just like 2014. Or, like I said, he's going to meet with Putin, and they're going to reach some agreement that we don't know about, and Putin's going to back down, and Biden's going to be some hero, the man who stopped Putin. But do you remember, by the way, Biden's speech, what, when was this? When he made the big snafu, he revealed something that he wasn't supposed to say. He said that Russia was going to invade Ukraine, and the Ukrainian president got irate, said, how dare you do this? How dare you say this? We're trying to call for calm and measure right now, and you're out there on the world stage giving a press conference saying that it's imminent. But anyway, here's the quote from Biden, and you'll remember this. I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion. And then we end up having a fight about what to do and what not to do. And then all hell broke loose, right? Jin Psaki released a statement immediately after, tried to walk back Biden's comments. Because what Biden said was, if it's a minor incursion, that's subjective, but a minor incursion won't exact our wrath. Is this the minor incursion, by the way? Is the minor incursion that he had agreed to do with Putin? Is this a deal he made with Putin? Was he setting this up? Was this a big setup? Was was Russia colluding with the U.S. government and other NATO forces, Germany and the rest, against Ukraine? Because he said a minor incursion, well, it depends. If it's a minor incursion, this is a minor incursion. You could argue this is a minor incursion, can you not? He's not taking the whole country of Ukraine. He's just taking provinces, sections, that he can make an argument. It's a lie, but Putin can make the argument because he has been setting this up. 
He's been arming these people. He's been calling them a separatist movement. He's been putting people in there and building these movements that are pro-Russian. And so Putin's coming in and saying, hey, these people want to be with Russia anyway. And the Ukrainians, you know, they're the aggressors. We're declaring them independent because they want to be independent. And to avoid World War III, the world will say, okay, okay, take this. You can have these Eastern Ukraine. Look, we don't want a full-blown war. Just give Putin what he wants. And this is why I make the Israeli-Palestinian analogy. Palestine, they get the Gaza Strip. They get, you know, land has been given away to them by Israel to stop conflict, but the conflict keeps coming because the goal is the eradication of Israel. Now, this is not a hatred between Russia and Ukraine. I'll get into the history in a minute. Not to be redundant, but I've got new listeners tuning in every week. But uh, this is why I say, you know, I think Biden has an agreement with Putin. I do. We'll see. We'll see. I think there's Biden-Russia collusion taking place. Side talks, things we do not know about. We know that Ukraine is being left out of the loop. They're the ones being left in the dark. And so here's the other reason that I started to get into, right? So if Russia invades Ukraine before the midterms, the Dems and Biden can blame this conflict on the dire well, you know, they, they can blame this on, on the, the, the Russian invasion, the gas prices, the in, inflation, etc. They, they, they need a scapegoat, all right? And then you have the March 1st State of the Union, Union speech. Now, this is interesting, too, the, the, the State of the Union. Um, it's on March 1st. Historically, under Obama, it was always held in January. Under Trump, it was generally the, the first week, first few days of February. And this goes back decades and decades. March 1st is very, very late. It's very, very odd. What are they waiting for? Why this break from tradition? That's a question that deserves investigation. It's another thing that's odd that should raise our antennae. Um... I just want to say that, um, and this is why I said I don't mean to be redundant, but I just, want, I just want to clarify something too, because you need to understand Putin. Putin's just self-interested here. And, you know, he said, and gave a speech too, right? So he said that, that Russia was robbed by the collapse of the Soviet Union. This is the, the, the Hitler attitude, okay? I'm only comparing them in the sense that Hitler believed, for example, that Austria belonged to Germany. They were one people. And they should be all German. Same thing here. Ukraine was taken from Russia, broken up after the Soviet Union. And, 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 you know, Putin gave his speech in which he declared these two regions separate before he invaded. And he spoke for 20 minutes or so about history. He wants Ukraine. He thinks Ukraine belongs to Russia, is Russia. He wants the old gang back together, the old USSR. That's what he wants. So he's getting what he wants. He's helping Biden. And I want to see the transcript of the phone call. But there's another transcript I'd like to see, too. Have you, do you remember before, as the protesters were forming there in Canada, you had, um, you had Trudeau reaching out to Biden and talking to Biden about what to do? How do we solve this crisis in Canada? These protesters, oh my gosh, they're so dangerous. Well, I want to see the transcript of that phone call as well. Because Canada has found their January 6th moment. That's what this... What they're doing, that's how they are defining this protest, the trucker 
Convoy for Freedom movement as J6. And it's just as real as our January 6th, by the way. Which is to say it's not real at all. It's a fabrication. And a full-blooded Mohawk woman, that's a Canadian Indian. Not a hairstyle for the libs out there, by the way. A Mohawk woman. That's an indigenous person for the libs. I know you're familiar with that term. Well, she was trampled by the Canadian Mounties, and her name was Candace Ciro. Now, she's Cero, S-E-R-O. She didn't die, but this was, uh, this was a re- result of, of, of Trudeau sending in his SS, his stormtroopers, his brown shirts, to put down this peaceful, peaceful protest. Now, there were false reports she had died. I think that it was... Um, who, 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 Sarah Carter, she's a Fox News correspondent, whatever, she, she apolo- has since apologized because she suggested she'd heard that this woman might have passed away. This is the woman that there's video of, she's got a, a walking assistant, some people call it a wheelchair, but it's a walking assist, she's an old, elderly, uh, indigenous person in Canada, and um, the Mounties trample her, they knock her over and trample her, and the, the Mounties, by the way, the, the Ottawa police, which is, which is fully controlled by the Trudeau uh, uh, despot regime there, they put out propaganda saying that a bicycle had been thrown at the feet of the horses, and that's how this happened. There was no bicycle on the scene. The only thing in the picture is the walking mechanism that this woman used, which was, well, knocked away from her by a bunch of horses and Mounties who were trampling her. And by the way, there was a chat that was confirmed between these Mounties. They had some chat going on on some social media platform or share uh, message sharing app. And they were bragging about the abuse that they were leveling on the protesters. Laughing. Laughing. Mocking them. Talking about how fun it was. And um, I'm not going to play any Trudeau's clips. I'm not going to put you through that. But he gave a press conference, of course, lying through his teeth. It's too painful to hear this guy's voice. And, and you know what? When these, when these dictators talk, by the way, there's no passion. There's no passion. It's just um, it's them doing their best impersonation of a moderate, well-tempered politician rather than the dictator they are. So they say things like, now is the time for healing. Now is the time to come together to solve Canada's problems. Now is the time for my SS to investigate everyone who is in this dangerous, violent protest. I am President, I am Prime Minister Trudeau, and I will be investigating all of you in the foreseeable future because Canada, and that's how they talk. That's how they hide their evil intentions. So he said he supports, by the way, the right to protest and peaceful assembly. And yet he weaponized the police to put the movement down violently. And I knew this was coming, by the way, when the Ottawa police chief resigned. That, that's when I knew this was going to happen. Peter Stoley, he was the, the, the police chief in the early days of these protests, peaceful protests. And he stepped down as police chief. And he said... And they said, and the media said, and Trudeau said, and the Canadian tyrant said that the reason he was resigning and stepping down was because, well, failure to turn the police 
Well, sorry. I was, I'm revealing. The, the reason he stepped down is because he wouldn't turn the police into the brown shirts. That's why he resigned. He wouldn't do it. Peter Stolle was his name. So he stepped down and they found some guy named Steve Bell. Canadian Hitler there found his Heinrich Himmler. Himmler oversaw the SS, the Nazi thugs. And so he found Steve Bell. Steve Bell stepped in to do what Peter Stolle wouldn't do. Because Peter Stolle, I guess, had an ounce of morality left in him. He would not unleash his men on these peaceful protesters. Didn't have it in him. But uh, Steve Bell there, he's, uh, he's ambitious, don't you know? He's ambitious. He wants the recognition of Trudeau. He wants a political future, perhaps. And so he unleashed. He unleashed the thugs. He turned the Ottawa police into, into their brown shirts. They carried out that which Peter Stolle would not do. And this is the thing. These tyrants are powerless without thugs to carry out their orders and their diktats. They need the police. And by the way, this is what I've always said, long said, the defund the police movement was about. The defund the police movement, right? Attacking these police officers, getting them to quit and leave their positions. The the Democrats never wanted to eradicate the police force. They wanted to reimagine the police force. And they wanted to reimagine the police force as being populated with individuals who were basically members of BLM or Antifa who are sympathetic to leftist, tyrannical uh, uh, acts, processes, who are obedient. Same thing with the vaccine mandates, by the way. It was never about keeping anybody healthy. It was about getting rid of people who weren't going to be obedient to the government because they need obedient people as the muscle to carry out the tyranny that they want to bring about in this country and throughout the world. They can't do it without a police force. The Nazis couldn't have done anything without a military. The Nazis couldn't have done anything without the SS. And by the way, the SS, you know, in 1929, there were 280 men under under Heinrich Himmler's control. And then by 1933, there were 52,000. And that's the purpose of all of this. And it should be frightening. They are populating police forces intentionally with people who will do exactly as they bid, who are like-minded or at least too cowardly to do the right thing. And that's what we saw here in Ottawa. The police going along with this. I I don't think I'm going to play the clip of Steve Bell. I was going to play a clip of him, but I'm not. I'm going to move on. Um... You know, here's the, here's the difference. So, so Trudeau, of course, is setting this up like J6, January 6th. He is freezing bank accounts. He's actually holding people in jail now without, without bail in Canada. They have no rights. And the parliament has now voted to give him these emergency powers. Of course, how is he using these emergency powers before the vote? It doesn't matter. He's a dictator. But now the parliament is actually supported. And by the way, two out of three Democrats in this country, in America, two out of three Democrats support, support what's happened to these protesters. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. But, uh, you know, Trudeau calls, calls Biden for his help. And Biden says, hey, man, we got a playbook here. We did J6 here just fine. Now you got to do J6. It's easy. It's easy. But the difference, of course, is that, you know, uh, J6 was pre-planned by the Democrats and the media. They wanted it. They, they, they hyped it up. They predicted it. <clears throat> they didn't downplay that movement. 
But the media did downplay the Canadian uh, truck convoy. They downplayed that, but they oversold the J6. And I think this trucker movement, I think it did take Trudeau by surprise. You know, he didn't invite it. He didn't. So he's, he's a little bit behind. He's got to work from a different set of circumstances here. J6 in, in this country, they were ready, baby. They didn't call in uh, the National Guard. They had a limited police presence. They opened the doors for the protesters. There were pipe bombs planted to, as, a, as a distraction. We never found those people. We had the FBI plants in there encouraging this and immediately ready to cover it and call it an insurrection. But uh, in this case, Trudeau is left trying to, to make up for lost ground, to, to, to manipulate the coverage to make it look like J6. Because J6, you did have the images of, of individuals on the walls, in there, you know, having a, having a, having a, a wrestling match with a comp- couple of uh, Capitol Police officers, perhaps. So they could take those images and seize them. But you didn't have those in Canada. You had Canadians filming the aggression by the police, and the Canadians had bounce houses and were dancing on the streets. So he's trying to manipulate this coverage, and it's outrageous what's happening. This person, by the way, there's a woman that's being held without bail, and the judge in Canada is saying, well, you know, how can I believe you won't go back out there and start protesting again? It was a peaceful protest. So she was one of the organizers, and they are painting her as something she's not, something she didn't do. If she'd been a BLM activist in Canada, there'd be no problem at all. And that's the thing. It's the cause that matters. It's the cause that matters. If you commit violent acts on behalf of the leftist totalitarian, if you're like the SS and the Gestapo working at their behest for causes that are important to them, that embolden, strengthen, and support them, well, then you get a free pass. Then you have the support of the government. Then you get bailed out immediately. Like this guy, by the way, the guy who tried to to murder that Democrat Jewish mayoral candidate, the anti-Semite, the black BLM activist who walked in the office with a Glock, and thank God didn't kill anybody, but tried to, attempted murder. Well, he's been bailed out by BLM. He's walking on the streets. But this woman in Canada, who was a peaceful protester, an organizer of peaceful protest, well, she's being held without bail in Canada. And the judge is saying, well, he thinks she's still too dangerous to to put on the streets. But somebody who commits murder, attempts murder, that's BLM, they get let out, no problem. They're not a danger. You see what's happening here? The criminal in this country has rights, and the law-abiding American citizen has no rights. It's selective. It's selective and discriminatory, just like everything else. And we are not Canada yet, by the way. We are not. But our J6 is exactly, we still have people being held without bail. And that's why I bring up this BLM guy who attempted murder. He's allowed to walk on the streets, but people who were present on January 6th, who were involved in that protest, whether there were small acts of aggression or not, they, what they did, is far less severe than attempted murder. None of them attempted murder, but they're being held without bail, like insurgents, and criminals, and the real criminals who attempt murder are allowed on the streets. This, this government cannot last. But Canada, part of the problem too is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about a constitution there, okay? What is it? They have a charter of rights. I wanted to get into this because this is the difference between America and the rest of the world. And still, uh, our rights have been 
infringed upon, but we're not Canada. And the reason is our rights are unalienable. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Our Constitution is absolute. Canada doesn't have that. It's not absolute. It can be overruled. And so, you know, those rights and freedoms that they have in in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and their Constitution, well, it's weak. It's weak because those rights and freedoms can be limited to protect other rights or important national interests. And so it doesn't have any power when you can just take away the rights if you're the government. Basically, the difference is, in Canada, the government is still master and the citizen is still servant. In America, we the people are the master and the government is servant. I know they're trying to switch that. I know two out of three Americans, Democrats, support what's going on in Canada. But that, it doesn't matter what they think. They're wrong. Our Constitution exists to limit the government, not us. But that's not the case in Canada. And we aren't immune either. It's just we are have the beneficiary of a brilliant founding fathers who did as much as they possibly could within the realm of reality to, to prevent that from happening here. But they gave us tools and they slowed it. And it's up to us to fight the fight and defend it. But anyway, here's section one of the charter, the charter of rights in uh, Canada. It says the rights can be limited by law so long as those limits can be shown to be reasonable in a free and democratic society. Reasonable, subjective. Okay, well, Trudeau is saying these protesters are violent insurgents who are threatening democracy, even though they're not. So according to him, well, it's reasonable to go after these people, seize their bank accounts, put them in jail without, without bail. And by the way, the, 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 this is how ridiculous. The Ottawa mayor, the trucks that were left on the street there as part of this convoy, well, he has seized them and he's trying to sell them. So he's seizing the property of someone else because they were in the protest and he's trying to sell it and take the money for the government. I cannot implore you enough to take this seriously. Um, all right, let's get into the State of the Union here. So Biden's got his State of the Union speech coming up. And... Um, they're erecting this, uh, this razor wire fence, I imagine, but they're erecting a fence ahead of it. He's going to give the address on March 1st, as I said. You know, why, why did they even remove the, the, the fence to begin with? I, I mean, they put it up and they left it up for six months. They took it down and now they're putting it back up again. Suddenly it's, I mean, we know why they're doing this. This is, by the way, in conjunction with what's happening in Canada. Uh, there's a trucker movement forming from L.A. Well, it's, I mean, we don't know. I guess it's happening. But it's supposed to arrive in D.C. And under the pretext of that, they're building this fence to protect themselves from the threat of these truckers in America who are also protesting. The point of this is to create the illusion that anyone protesting against the government is some domestic terror threat. So they build up this, this fence. And I thought fences didn't work, by the way. We can't build one at the border because it doesn't work. It doesn't protect the country. It doesn't keep anyone out. But of course, when it comes to Congress and protecting them, well, nothing does the job better than a seven-foot razor wire fence. So the Capitol is going to look like a supermax prison again. I just wish that this supermax prison would keep Democrats and politicians out of the buildings instead of keeping them in there and us out. 
So, do you remember, by the way, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom? <clears throat> that MLK Jr., I have a dream speech against discrimination. I mean, that's celebrated, right? August 28th, 1963, more than 200,000 protesters showed up in the Capitol. They didn't erect fences to keep them out. That was, that was the right to protest. That disrupted the city, certainly. More than 200,000 people gathered there in Washington, D.C. But anyway, now they're reinstalling the fence. The second reinstall. I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's move on. State of the Union speech. So here we go. This is in conjunction with the, the this, this building this back up. So um, Pelosi, she's requiring masks and COVID testing. And I'm telling you what, you know, this is our Super Bowl moment. This is our Super Bowl moment. You know what the Super Bowl here in L.A., it showed the hypocrisy and the, the insanity of these, these mandates and everything else. 70,000 people in the stadium in L.A., nobody wore a mask. I think that she can't arrest all. Let's, I want to see Pelosi bringing Capitol Police officers to arrest every member in the Republican Party. They should go in there and take their masks off their face in the middle of the speech. Disrupt it. Let's see what, let's see what they do. Are they going to arrest all the, uh, the individuals, or are they just going to write down their names and find them later? I, I mean, I think that, I mean, I guess maybe the Republicans shouldn't skip it, although that would be quite amusing to me. Um, but I would love to see a sea of red hats, MAGA hats, in that audience. Wouldn't that be great? Remember the Trump State of the Union? In 2020, no, it wasn't just 2020. It was a tradition, actually. It was a tradition. Every year at the State of the Union that, that Trump gave, the Democrats coordinated. Remember they color-coordinated their outfits? What was it? In 2020, it was all white, right? They were suffragists. The suffragettes. The suffragettes. Fighting for women's right to vote, right? In 2020. They wore black back in 2018, I think. Do you remember that? Was it black? That was solidarity with the Me Too movement. By the way, speaking of the Me Too movement, did you hear Epstein's associate killed himself in jail? He hanged himself just like Epstein. So this was uh, Epstein's pimp. Uh, his name, he was a French guy. He was a modeling agent called what, what, Jean-Luc Brunel. So he was found dead by suicide in a French jail. Another guy that had information about Bill Clinton and other Democrats who were involved in this... Uh, trafficking scheme, essentially, uh, to sleep with and abuse sexually uh, young minors. But anyway, in December 2020, Brunel was charged with rape of minors over the age of 15 and sexual harassment. Wow, it's a crime in France. Well, that's good. I'm glad that's still a crime there. Um, anyway, but he was trafficking these underage girls for Epstein and Epstein's buddies. So he was the supplier for Epstein and Bill Clinton and those other people involved. And... Um, Brunel's lawyer, by the way, says that, uh, well, since he's killed himself in jail, he, he says he tried to kill himself a bunch of times. He just couldn't do it until he was in prison. Well, I said that last part, but, but Brunel's lawyer says he tried to kill himself a bunch of times. So this guy has a history of trying to kill himself. He's in jail, and they don't put him in solitary confinement, or they don't, they don't put him in a, in a, on suicide watch in jail. Does that make any sense to anybody? Here's a guy who has a track record, Brunel is saying, 
Brunel's lawyer is saying of trying to kill himself, and then he goes in jail and he's not under suicide watch. Does anyone buy this, by the way? Come on. Come on. Yeah, I guess jail, you know, he couldn't kill himself outside of jail, but apparently jail is the best place to kill yourself. In jail, you can get everything you need to kill yourself. You couldn't get it as a private citizen outside. There weren't enough supplies. He couldn't walk to the store and get it. But in jail, he found the, uh, the means he needed to kill himself. Does that make sense? Um, but back to the State of the Union. So Trump gave his addresses in early February, like I said. Obama gave his early address, his addresses in early January. And tradition, they're given, tr- traditionally, they're given earlier. Biden's late, March 1st. And um, Pelosi invited Biden to deliver this speech back on January 7th. So the date's been set since January 7th. She invited him to come March 1st, nearly two months later. Why? Why March 1st? That's my question. Why wait two months? Since 1934, that's the date I was trying to think of. Since 1934, all State of the Union speeches have happened in either January or February. The delay, of course, the March 1st date, is to give Biden time to accomplish something. Or, more than likely, it's to give the Democrats and the media time to manufacture something to make him look good, to give him something to talk about. And everything going forward you're going to see from here until the midterms is about the Democrats trying to retain power and salvage something. And we've seen the strategy underway. They're trying to, to, trying to deflect blame. We've already heard this. There was some congresswoman out there who already blamed Republicans. She says Republicans aren't offering solutions. Can you believe this? And so that's what's going to... I mean, I, I actually am, am, am excited to watch this State of the Union. I'll probably be one of the 15 people who watches out there. Because I can't actually imagine and predict what he's going to say this time. I don't think we've ever been in a situation quite like this. I mean, obviously, he's going to have to lie. But pay very careful attention to what's happening in the media between today and leading up to March 1st. Because they're going to start to tell you what the strategy is. And pay very close attention to what's happening in Russia, Ukraine as well. Because I think in the coming days, we'll find out if my theory is, is truthful or not. But um, last thing I wanted to end with here, you know, Peter Schweitzer, he's got a new book out there, and he's accusing 20 Republicans in his latest book of having sold out to China. And this is the dirty little secret. The reason all these things are happening in America that are harmful to us and beneficial to our adversaries, the reason we don't speak up against China One of the reasons they came for Trump so hard, too, is he was the first one to actually call out China, to bring attention to that issue. And the reason Republicans never do anything, you had the uh, four senators that, that didn't show up for a vote the other day, remember that? The Republicans could have passed... Uh, an amendment or something like that to basically forbid these these mandates from taking place. And four Republicans just didn't show up. It was Lindsey Graham. It was Mitt Romney. I forget who the other ones were, but my point is broadly that we have a problem in the Republican Party too because they might be in our party, but they're it's the uniparty they talk about, right? 
They want the same thing as the Democrats. They campaign, they say the right thing at occasional moments to get your money and to retain power, but really they're there to sabotage us. And this is what's really going on. You have certain Republicans in positions of power, and they're always in positions of power. Let, let me give you an example. Guess who's named in Peter Schweitzer's book as Republicans who sold out to China? Mitch McConnell, no surprise there. George Bush, also no surprise. Former House Speaker John Boehner and former Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott. So the leadership positions, the big dogs who are in positions to sabotage the Republican Party, they ensure that China gets its way. They ensure that the Republican Party cannot be a successful deterrent to the left or what China wants. GOP leadership is corrupt and compromised. And that explains why we never get anything done. We only slow, slow our lurch left. So these midterms are really important. Really important in March. I mean, uh, coming up this year, later this year. If we do not take back the House and Senate, it's going to be a severe problem. I mean, I, this, is, this is one of the most important elections in, in American history, in my opinion, to start to right this ship and fight back. But um, it's not just taking back the House and Senate. It doesn't do us any good if you have McConnell's and those people in there because they're sabotaging us. And this is the thing we need to focus on more. So just keep that in mind. All right, we're out of time here. This is Drew Allen. Until next time.